Hello, everybody, and good morning. Welcome to April 1st, April Fools. No, actually, no. Everything here is serious. Trust me. Uh, this is the Media Bowl podcast uh, for April 1st. This is episode 377, I believe. That sounds right. I think that's what it is. He's checking. Oh, I'm sorry. You want me to confirm? He hasn't introduced me yet. He can't say anything <laughs> until I say his name. It's like a magic spell. Um, yeah, Media Boat Podcast is a podcast dedicated to media, as the name implies. We talk about music, video games, uh, television, and movies. Not necessarily, actually, in that, wait, no, sort of in that order. I, I'm barely awake. Thanks for joining me. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. This is the <laughs> April Fool's episode. It is episode 377. April Fool's. I don't have energy. All right. <laughs> We're just going to roll through. How's that different from every other week? Hey. hey. I'd like to think that I bring it. Um, uh, it gets brought. It gets brought hard. Something gets brought. Brought like bratwurst. Ooh. Hmm. Um, Delicious. So let's get, uh, without further ado, let's get rolling into today's show because we have a little bit of a deadline to reach. So let's yes. start, as always, with the music, and we start the music section with the weekend, wait, with the, with the m- hot billboard, 100. the billboard charts, and we start the billboard charts with the hot 100, your singles chart. Number one this week, again, is Miley Cyrus's Flowers. Number two, eh, last night, Morgan Wallen still hangs out. Number three, Kill Bill by SZA. Number four, Creepin' by Metro Boomin, The Weeknd, and 21 Savage. And then number five, Die For You, The Weeknd, and Ariana Grande. The one changed since last week. finally climbed the charts to get to the top five. Well, those two things just swapped. Uh, your number five and your number four swapped this week. So, yep, flowers, you know, still raining at the top. Your billboard. the song of the summer, but almost still early. Almost. It's an endless summer vacation, according to Miley. <laughs> Speaking of which, your Billboard 200 chart, which is your albums chart, your number one album this week is One Thing at a Time by Morgan Wallen for the second week. Number two, SOS by SZA. Number three, Midnight's by Taylor Swift, getting that tour bump back into the top five. Number four, Endless Summer Vacation by Miley Cyrus. And number five, debuting in the top five this week, Songs of Surrender by U2, which is their re-recording album. So... Now, did that get the Apple bump by being put on every device? <laughs> no, they didn't do that this time. I think they learned from their mistakes. So that's... No, that's a different U2 album. <laughs> Songs of Mistakes? Yes. <laughs> it's just it's just outtakes. That's all it is. Uh, so those are your Billboard charts. Moving into new releases, if you didn't like any of those albums. How about these new releases? This week, we have Never Enough by Daniel Caesar. Stereo Mind Game by Daughter. Higher Than Heaven by Ellie Goulding. Yes, that Ellie Goulding. Plastic Eternity by Mudhoney. Been a while since I heard that name. The Weakness by former Mr. Casey Musgraves, Rustin Kelly. Mythologies by Thomas Bangalter, a.k.a. One Half of Daft Punk. And then Rat Saw God by Wednesday. Those are your new releases. And no, that's Wednesday the band, not Jenna Ortega. Just to be clear, <laughs> let's move on to music news. A couple of slow stories here. It's slow week in music news. We start with Drake. 
who has made a recent habit of not showing up to things or cutting things short. What's going on with Drake? I ask. Well, Lollapalooza Brazil has offered refunds to festival goers after Drake's set on March 26th was replaced by a performance from Skrillex. The rapper was scheduled to perform as a headliner, closing out the three-day event with a set on Sunday night. The announcement of Drake's postponement came just a few hours before he was set to hit the stage and pointed to unforeseen circumstances, I'm using quotes, that left Drake, quote, without members of his sound and production team, essential to the realization of the Lollapalooza show in Sao Paulo, read a translated statement on the festival's social media. The note tried its best to address the disappointment, closing its statement by asking, by saying, quote, Drake was excited to perform for his fans in Brazil. Unfortunately, this is a beyond his control. Sorry. And in the caption, Lollapalooza outlined its refund policy, which offered attendees a variety of ticketing alternatives and the option of requesting a refund until April 5th. After his set at the Argentina iteration of Lollapalooza last week, the Canadian rapper was criticized on social media for reportedly cutting his headlining performance from the typical hour and a half to just 40 minutes. What's going on with Drake? I mean, besides being the POS that we know he is? <laughs> Do you think this is related to Mark Madness? Is he going home to watch the games? You mean, is he <laughs> cutting out a concert? No, that was last year's story. That was last year's story about, um, who was that? The Eric Church. Eric Cutting Church. out to go watch basketball. <laughs> yeah, he's pulling an Eric Church on this one, maybe. I don't know. This is weird. I mean, because he obviously was in Argentina, Brazil's, you know, same continent. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, they schedule these things out so far in advance that you make sure you have all your contingencies planned out, especially for someone like Drake, who goes on tour, that this is not something that happens out of the ordinary yeah it's Either embarrassing tour for himself or festivals like this yeah it's embarrassing i wonder if this would have been the same thing if these were um look like uh american Date dates size? and not yeah and not international dates i wonder if he's you just mean like being... canadian dates <laughs> yeah canadian dates i don't know it's just weird and i hope he gets his act together literally so that way people who want to see him can see him because that's just embarrassing if you ask me I mean, a 40-minute set is a not even a sub-headliner. That's, like, down at the bottom there. Well, to be fair, that's how long Paramore played in Glendale, Arizona, before Taylor's performance, so... But to be fair, Taylor Swift did play for three-plus hours. Yeah, so what you gonna do? You know why they're there. All right. Let's move on to our second story today. If you don't want to see Drake, you might be an um, older uh, person who misses the sounds of hard rock of yore. And yes. there's a festival for you called what? the Power Trip Festival. As expected, apparently there were some rumors swirling about this, a new hard rock festival called Power Trip from the founders of Coachella and Stagecoach has announced his lineup. Metallica, Guns N' Roses, Ozzy Osbourne, notable because didn't he retire? <laughs> ACDC, Iron Maiden, and Tool? It will take place at Coachella's home base of the Empire Polo Grounds in Indio, California, of which you are very familiar, October 6th through the 8th. Basically, all the news that leaked earlier in the week is accurate. Guns N' Roses and Iron Maiden will perform on Friday, ACDC and Osbourne on Saturday, and Metallica and Tool on Sunday. The mighty but relatively small lineup seems to accommodate long, career-spanning sets from all of the veteran artists. So, 
instead of this Coachella setup, we're going to have a headliner play at the end of the night. And then you have a lot of different bands throughout the day before. This is not that. This is basically like, let the legends of this genre play their sets. Like, just give them lots of breathing room. This is not the first time that Coachella has done this. Notably, in 2016, they did Desert Trip. Yes, I remember. Where they had Rolling Stones, Bob Dylan, Paul McCartney, Neil Young. Mm -hmm. I think the who. Yeah. Similar vibes. Where it was like all these older acts Mm -hmm. in that Coachella Valley um, arena. Stadium? Browns? Polo Browns. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is a good opportunity for people who are worried that they weren't going to see Ozzy Osbourne, I guess, that they get tickets to this thing and you have that checked as well if you want to, you know, make sure you see Guns N' Roses and Metallica before you die. Like, this is a good place to get all that done. So is this Guns N' Roses with both Axel and Slash? That's a good question and I don't know the answer to it. Because that might be a good reason just to go, just to see them feud or not feud. <laughs> You're just, like, you're just like, what's an excuse to get an Airbnb in Indio again? That's, I think, what you're thinking. You're thinking, like, how do I get to go to Indio three times in one year? Well, this is uh, October, so I yeah, may be well, uh, doing other stuff by then. You may have your hands full. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, but anyways, yeah, not the first time they've, uh, they've done this, but one band I would like to see on there. I know they probably okay. won't get it because they're also on their farewell tour. I think Kiss... Would yeah. be great in here as well. well. I don't know if you saw this. I don't have the story this week, but there is also feuding within members of KISS. Apparently, there was an effort to get the original members to play again, but um, a certain member, and you could probably guess who, was saying, oh, we don't need those old fogies. We want it to sound good. In fact, I believe the quote was, we don't want it to sound like piss. <laughs> well, uh, uh, the other members did not take kindly to this, and so there's a little bit of drama uh, within the ranks of Kiss. So that's probably not going to happen. Well, they still have their; they're still on their farewell tour. Yeah, through uh, I believe we talk October is their last dates. Yeah, so we'll see if they can survive all of those dates without <laughs> killing each other. <laughs> we'll see. All right, let's move on. Uh, out of news and into some thoughts, I listened to an album this week, a new one. All right. So I saw you post about how good yes. the record is for Bully Genius, and I decided yes. to take a quick listen to it. Okay. What you I think? got through two songs, and I need <laughs> you to explain some stuff. All Mainly, right. what is going on? Okay. So what is going on is Boy Genius is the cleverly, ironically named uh, supergroup that combines three uh, women from indie rock, uh, Phoebe Bridgers, Lucy Dacus, and Julia Baker. And um, they all write and perform these songs together as a, as a band. Um, they have released an EP a few years ago uh, to critical acclaim. I really liked it. This is their first, this is their debut record proper. This is their first LP. And um, since that first EP, a lot has changed, mostly for Phoebe Bridgers, whose career has exploded um, she's everywhere. She's, you know, opening for Taylor Swift. She's um, showing up and presenting awards on award shows. She's a bigger deal than she's ever been. And uh, I think that's gotten a lot of more eyes towards the Boy Genius Project than before. Um, not to say that Lucy and Julian aren't slouches either. All three of them combine their songwriting ability and their singing ability um, in different ways to become Boy Genius. And 
it's never been showcased in the way that it has been on this LP. Uh, this record is fantastic. It's one of the probably easily the best thing I've heard all year. Um, the three of their voices harmonize extremely well. They definitely seem like they get along. They seem like that they're just like, it almost feels like a hangout sesh. And so did the EP. But the difference this time is that the songwriting has gotten even better. And they don't feel like, one of the things with the EP was it sounded often that, okay, one of these songs, okay, this sounds like a Phoebe song or this sounds like a Lucy song. That's really not the case here. As the album goes on, it feels like all of the songs are a cohesive combination of their skill sets. And it just sounds better as a result. Um, there are some really emotional moments, but the one really interesting takeaway from this album, I think above all, it's not necessarily a sad album in the same way that, that some of the songs that these artists have been associated with are, especially Phoebe. It's actually less about like being sad and more about complicated emotions. Uh, the, the, song, the songs here are largely about being in a relationship, largely a stable one, and the complications that that sometimes offers. Like sometimes having like lover spats and disagreements and but at the end of that, realizing how much you love your partner and coming out of that pot in a positive way and learning from that experience. Most of the songs here are about this. And I found that really fascinating. That's not a subject matter that you get a lot. You know, the breakup song is classic because of how relatable that feeling is. I mean, Taylor Swift's made a career on it. Uh, there's a reason why people talk about losing love or pining for love, unrequited love. There's it's it, there's less songs, there's fewer songs in general, I think, about being in love with somebody and dealing with the repercussions of that or or enjoying the joy of that. And the way that these songs are written feel like they're playing with those feelings in a really realistic way. And I found a lot of it extremely relatable, uh, feeling in that moment, being so deeply in love with someone that you're confused by it or like baffled by it or like challenged by it in some way. And there's a lot of material about that on this record. And it just sounds beautiful. The production value is just amazing on some of these songs. When they go in a more rock direction, which is usually the songs that are led by Julian Baker, the instrumentation is fantastic. There's moments of drum breaks and solos that are just like, that literally shocked me. I was like, listening to this thing. I was like, oh boy, I didn't expect that run. Like just some fantastic sound um, happening, even on the rock songs. But then the quieter moments are just as good. They're just atmospheric and just really enhance that emotional heft. Um, yeah, it's just, it's fantastic. It's maybe, in my opinion, the best thing all three of them have done. Although Lucy Dacus's historian, which her second record is probably up there too. All right. Because when I started listen listening to this, the first two songs on the album were completely polar opposite of yeah. what I was expecting. But then when it got to the third one, uh, Emily, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's why I was like, oh, there's actually something here. Oh, yes. That's, I think, the moment where it really co cohesis. One of the downsides here is that they released some of, a few of these songs as singles before their records uh, release. I kind of mm -hmm. wish they didn't do that, or at least I kind of wish I would have skipped listening to them, because it did spoil the surprise of it. I felt like going in and hearing a couple of songs that I already heard kind of did, made me like, okay, well, I've heard this already. But in the context of the album, they work exceptionally well and better than they do as singles. So I will give them that. I do wish that I had gone this, gone into this completely, like, not knowing what I was getting into, because I think that that would have been a real roller coaster ride. Um, <laughs> but generally speaking, though, like, 
I, you know, if you, I feel like if you're interested in that, then you should give the whole thing a spin because it just gets better from there. Okay. I mean, you like it so much. And if it's going to appear on your end of the year list, it might, I might as well um, give it a spin myself. Yeah, I know it's April, but like early, early front runner for surely for me. Uh, it's going to be hard to beat as the year goes on, and I'll definitely be spinning this one a lot. All right, that's that's all I listened to. Any listen to anything this week? No, like I said, I started listening to that, but uh, my drive was very short. <laughs> so um, yeah, it happens. Like I said, I was only able to get through the first three songs. Fair enough. All right, well, then that'll do it for music. We'll move into the next section with his video games. And right. we always start video games with the upcoming new releases. Except. Except I would, but I already did them last week. So for whatever reason, Metacritic only had this week's release. I guess last week was a no game zone. Was it no release? I guess maybe everybody was at GDC, and so they didn't want to put out games. <laughs> so I'm just going to skip that and move right into video game news. And we start with a banger. Although a banger that we all mostly expected. Okay, it's more it's not a banger, it's more like trumpet sounds. So more like taps. Yeah. <laughs> so week after week after week, we had heard that publishers, major publishers, were dropping out of E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, the of course renowned and storied uh convention that usually is where video games are announced. Publishers show off their wares, you have the Console manufacturers doing their uh, press releases or press mm -hmm. shows, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A video game staple. Well, for years now, the future and fate of E3 has been in the balance. The last one in 20, proper in 2019 was kind of a ghost town. Uh, and then, of course, the pandemic stopped it from having in-person shows for a couple of years. They made a big deal about it having a comeback this year. But ultimately, with everybody dropping out, Sounds like a real chicken and an egg situation, doesn't it? Like, if there's no people to be at E3, then how can E3 exist? And finally, the Electronic Entertainment Expo this week has been properly canceled. The ASA, the Elect Entertainment Software Association, and show organizer ReadPop have released a statement saying the planned June event will no longer go ahead. Quote, this was a difficult decision because of all the effort we and our partners put toward making this event happen but we had to do what's right for the industry and what's right for E3, end quote. Repop's global VP of gaming, Kyle Marsden Kish, said in a statement provided to VGC, we appreciate and understand that interested companies wouldn't have playable demos ready and that resourcing challenges made being at this E3 this summer an obstacle they just couldn't overcome. For those who did commit to E3, we're sorry we can't put on the showcase you deserve and that you come to expect from Repop's event experiences. So yeah, for all these reasons and probably more that we don't know about, they just decided to call it quits. So somewhere Jeff Keeley is uh, <laughs> spinning around in a chair and petting a cat very gently and 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 conniving about Summer Games Fest right now. <laughs> Only uh, game yeah, in no, town. This is a, I know. Um, you know, until you get to international stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, this is kind of sad. I mean, I remember watching G4 TV, which again, poor one out for that as well, <laughs> of E3 coverage, a week long yeah. uh, event. But also, like, this was where new consoles were released, new yeah. games were announced. It was a big deal. But with the rise yeah. of the internet, Twitter, just instant sources that you can gather from. Uh, I mean, even when Nintendo started doing their own treehouse showcases during the event, it was, oh, 
Well, they're skipping on the event, still having people there, but doing their own showcase away from everything. Yeah. And then slowly everyone's like, oh, well, we can just do that. It doesn't have to be a big event, especially with like Rise of the Internet, YouTube, gaming sites where people can break stories. Mm-hmm. I think E3 just kind of was of its time. Um, yeah, I mean, it's bittersweet is the way I would put it. And um, this has happened a couple, a handful of times in the last 10 years. It feels like E3 is always dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think I agree with you to a certain extent. Um, I, you know, I, it was an event that I looked forward to every year for a very long time. I remember being on like super early, like when they started streaming the press conferences for the first time on like really crappy low low uh low uh, uh bit rate low streams risk. on like ign.com i remember watching that in my in my den of the house i grew up with and just pouring over the announcements as they happen and then oh so yeah i've been following this stuff for long enough we're like yeah it does feel a little bittersweet to see it go but at the same time though it makes sense e3 is expensive especially for publishers so in an age where you can just easily do something similar to a nintendo direct and just show your stuff directly to the consumer and somebody cynically i think but pointed out on twitter this week with like on youtube with literally a link to pre-order right on the video like Mm -hmm. why wouldn't they do it that way it's instant like it's instant gratification for everyone involved it's the just the economy of e3 doesn't make sense and hasn't made sense for years it's right it's why the last in-person ones were so weird because there weren't that many people there. Like enough people had pulled out at that point that that when they actually did have it, it was kind of a dud. And then they tried to bring the public in for the last couple of shows and that didn't even help. The vibes were off and I think the industry knew even then that this was just not something that was future-proof. We, ESA didn't kill E3. Jeff Keighley didn't even kill E3. The and the social media kill E3 largely. It's just that mm-hmm. it's so much easier now to just engage buyers personally on a one-on-one basis through streams. That there's no reason to bring everybody to LA every year. I'll miss it, but honestly, it's just it was never going to be the same, even if they had continued, and will probably likely continue to try to bring it back from the dead. Well, and that was also part of the fun is that you, once a week you get all the publishers. All the um, publishers, not just from uh, gaming publishers, but from like magazine publishers, editorials um, Mm -hmm. coming in and testing out these game demos, testing out all the new features, all the new um, companies, all the new software, all the new games are coming out. And then they write up their reviews. But if you're able to send a code to instantly download or say, hey, here's a link to early access to a Steam game. Or yeah. here's a code for a PlayStation game or yeah. Xbox or whatever. Yeah. That very impersonal digital code. Now you can send that one code or however many codes out to these publishers and they can play it on their own time and give their own reviews. There's no need. I mean, there is a need, but there is no need to have everyone gather to wait in line for hours to play your demo. Yeah. It's not or uh, it's, 20 yeah. minutes where they have to like kick you off to get the next person <laughs> in there. Exactly. It's um, it's not E3 1998 in Atlanta anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. Things have changed. Um, but like, but, but the big thing is, is that it's not all like that idea is still alive because, as I mentioned, Jeff Keighley is still holding the torch for it. 
he does two events now every year that are trying to rekindle that spirit uh, his summer game fest in the summer and then video game awards uh which is now where people make their announcements it's now mm-hmm. one of the big tent poles where you can expect the industry to come together in person and announce things and it's it's different of course in the way they do it but it's a similar spirit and i think jeff Keeley knows that there's value to that idea and that concept and so he's keeping it going so at least we have that at least we have some sort of semblance of that one night that everybody's watching kind of vibe and he does it twice so uh e3 is dead but long live e3 question mark so uh, we'll see, but yeah, it's a, it's it's definitely a, a a story we definitely saw coming. Well, speaking of um, advertising directly to the consumers, yes, yeah. Speaking of those Nintendo Directs, Nintendo had another one this week, but specifically for the long-anticipated Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. So the new Switch game is uh, just a few months out from release, mm-hmm. uh, and we have some more details about some of the new features in the game. So Nintendo released a 10-minute video of gameplay footage from Tears of the Kingdom. The footage opened with Link exploring Hyrule on a horse, while areas of land referred to as Sky Islands can be seen high in the air. Suddenly, a large piece of rock falls from one of the Sky Islands. Link runs over to it and uses one of his new abilities, Recall, which rewinds time. By standing on the rock and using Recall, Link can reach the Sky Island as the rock travels back to its starting position. Quote, There are a lot of ways to reach the Sky Islands, so we hope you'll try a few different methods, said E.J. Aonuma, who was doing the presentation and is also the director of the game. The footage then shows Link on a larger Sky Island, where he takes on a new enemy called a Construct. We're then shown another new ability, Fuse, in which Link takes a tree branch and sticks it to a large rock to create a new weapon, a makeshift hammer. Aonuma says the Fuse ability can be used in a number of ways, including merging two weapons together. By fusing a long stick with a pitchfork, players can create an exceptionally long spear. Players can also fuse arrows with materials. By merging one with an ice elemental ingredient, they can shoot a shot that freezes enemies. So this is the hook. Everybody was wondering, okay, what makes this different? If it's the same map as Breath of the Wild, what's actually interesting about this game? And here's the hook. Fusing. Apparently, you can fuse most items in the game which means that this allows for a lot of experimentation. You'll find something and you'll be like, I wonder what would happen if I fuse this to this? So you, I don't know, like you stake to sword, what happens? We'll find out. It's like fascinating idea. It, it reminds me a little bit of a combination of Kirby's copy abilities. And um, remember Banjo-Kazooie nuts and bolts? Mm-hmm. Where you're building vehicles and stuff. It's kind of like that. Just like smash those together. And you get this idea. It's, it's it's a wild idea and definitely leads to some real inventive uh, uh, gameplay. Well, see, I was thinking more like Final Fantasy elements with all the um, different elements of, well, elements, <laughs> but also of like mobile games like Alchemy. Yeah. Where yeah you're just yeah. using the different items together to create new items. Yeah, and apparently this uh, sort of addresses people's concerns in the first game about weapon durability, how weapons broke over time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now it's like, oh, well, I have a rock in my inventory and this broken sword. What happens if I fuse these things? And maybe that's a solution. Maybe that makes a new weapon for you to experiment with. Or does it break the weapon to (laughs) just become a dagger? (laughs) A short sword. (laughs) Yeah. 
don't know. It's interesting. So yeah, I never played Breath of the Wild. So this is like, I'm, I'm in a weird zone where I'm like, should I play this when it comes out? Or if I'm going to be like missing out somehow? Like, I don't know. It's weird. But Or like, should you play Breath of the Wild leading up to Tears yeah, of Kingdom? Perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, as that game gets closer and closer, I'm sure we'll know more. But already, uh, that sounds like a really unique yep. hook. Hype keeps going up for that game. Oh, yeah. Seems pretty cool. Speaking of hype, we got hyped over a couple of new releases this week. Yes. Tell me about Chef Life, a restaurant simulator. So this was a game that came out on Steam back in February, but finally got its console release last week. I was able to play it on the Switch, and it's kind of cute, actually. Right. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, there's different game settings that you can set. Uh, in terms of like how many customers come in at a time, is there a time limit? Is stuff burning? So you can set on like easy mode or like super like actual chef mode, which mm-hmm. is kind of fun to um, mess around with. Uh, it's also kind of playing in a Sims like game where you buy different items and um, upgrade your kitchen, upgrade your dining room, move tables around, add tables. Uh, you know, like an actual chef restaurant, as well as like getting to expand your restaurant. Higher staff, prep uh, kitchen items before their uh, meal. Uh, I'm the, the only like cooking game I have to compare it to is a bit like um, Overcooked. Uh, not in the sense that it's very cartoony, but in that the time when a person or someone orders their food, you're trying to run around the kitchen trying to get everything done. Uh, but part of the like um, the eh, gameplay of it is. We're gonna make you do these re- these recipes over and over and over again mm-hmm. until you're like, okay, I know what to do here. Chop, 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 chop. Throw this over here. I can get this going. Put it on a warmer. You know, like an actual chef kitchen. It's yeah. kind of fun. It's kind of cute. Um, the story is flimsy at best <laughs> because the main story is make sure your restaurant doesn't fail. Um, while you're also like meeting different people who come in and out who work in the city. Like yeah. uh, like a critic, um, the market person who delivers your groceries, uh, people coming in like trying to sell you on new um, like linens and stuff, <laughs> linens, uh, new tables, new chairs. Like hey, like I can upgrade this. I own like the antique shop around the corner. Here, here's some of my wares. Would you <laughs> like to buy them? <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's a cool idea. It's kind of like um, they're really emphasizing these the simulator uh, part of this name. It is a lot of simulator. Yeah, it was yeah, like a good, really good smash of like um, uh, Animal Crossing mm. without like all the animals, like actual people though. But like people come in, you like you're trying to serve them, trying to help people, um, serving them food, um, get get them to like do stuff to join your crew as well. Yeah. Uh, it's cute. It's fun. I don't know if I'm, there's an actual. Ant- necessary end game to it because it does feel like it can go on forever yeah. especially as you unlock more recipes and unlock more items it does yeah. feel like the sim the sim game part of it does expand infinitely mm-hmm. until you actually like purchase everything in the game or you get shut down by the health inspector <laughs> uh, i haven't come across that yet <laughs> <laughs> Well, good luck on your chef in, uh, adventures. Uh, how long do you think you're going to play this if you think that it's going to last forever? Oh, no, I'm not going to play for very much longer because yeah. <laughs> uh, because I well, one, there's other stuff to play, like yeah. the game you're going to talk about. 
but also like I don't want to get stuck in like <laughs> oh I have to master this recipe to get to the next yeah. one, to get to the next yeah. one, to get to the next one. Like if there's a uh, there's a level four plate that I really want to get to, I have to go through the previous three levels. Uh, okay. Of food to of mastery in order to get to the stuff like I really want. Mm -hmm. Kind of a caveat. I wish there was kind of like an open world mode <laughs> where it's like, hey, let me just start at the end here. Let me or cook let me whatever start, I want. Yeah. Let me start with my favorite recipes and then like leave this, then like keep a separate story mode to yeah. do story mode and unlock stuff. Yeah, that would be a nice thing. And maybe that'll come later and maybe in like an added mode or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sounds neat. Sounds neat. I've actually never really played a cooking game. Um, they always strike me as being like too hard. But... Uh, it's very easy. Uh, I mean, the hard part is, I mean, it's very easy because they like they allows you to pin the recipes, so you don't really have to commit it that much to memory. Yeah. But you yeah. can like scroll through like, okay, what do I do next? Oh, that's right, I do this next, or I do that's, this. Next. That's key because yeah, they, they keep a lot of stuff very uh, simplified and easy for the player. While also making you run around and making it a little bit chaotic. That's, Not that's so much true. in like overcooked where there's a bunch of like chaos throwing at you. Yeah. Yeah. And you're trying to yell at other people, but right. just enough to where you're waiting for food to finish cooking while also seeing the the happiness meter kind of go down. <laughs> Gotta keep that happiness meter up. Yeah. People need their food. That's how you get more money. That is how you get more money. Just that's speaking just of true getting about more life. money. Yeah, speaking of getting more money, how yeah. was your journey through the trash pandas? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a Salt Lake Bee now. Uh, that's okay. why. Uh, but before we talk about the show, I just really want a quick caveat. I got Resident Evil 4 in hot. Basically, as soon as I finished my stream, I checked the mail and the disc was in there. And <laughs> I was gonna, thinking about going back, jumping back on, but then it had to update and it was still updating. And so mm -hmm. I was like, all right, I guess I'll just shelf this until Tuesday. So look forward to a stream of Resident Evil 4 on Tuesday. I'm very excited to jump into that. Um, but in the meantime, yes, MLB The Show 23 is out. It is on everything except for PC. Uh, and if you have Game Pass on Xbox, you can play it with your subscription, just like last couple of years. So yeah, uh, the show is back. It's still the show, uh, but there's some really cool um, new additions that they've made on the edges that I think are um, really neat. Um, speaking of edutainment, if you've <laughs> always been curious about the one of the, the uh, more complicated bits about the uh, Major League Baseball's pass, which would be the Negro Leagues, um, well, you can learn all about them in the show this year. There is a new storylines mode um, that it takes you through stories from players uh, from the Negro Leagues. Um, they are done in the kind of story, like a uh, moment style where like they have you play certain events that happened during these uh, these people's careers. And um, you have to recreate the history. But the cool thing is that they've made a package around it. So there's little videos that'll teach you about like the context of who this person was, uh, what they were known for and the history behind the, like their interactions with like the, the league. And it's fascinating stuff. It's really cool. If you're like somebody who's always been curious about that and then as an act and haven't done the legwork. I, in the stream that I did, I mentioned that if you want to learn even more, uh, Ken Burns baseball is really has a lot about the Negro leagues in there, kind of the context at that time. And so it's really educational and really cool that this game actually put this all in there. So you can interact, have an interactive, like learning experience while you're playing as these legends 
So I played yeah, the I saw you play the satchel page yeah. version. It's cool. It's literally a time like they put you back in that time period. Uh, like the audience, like the audience members are even like dressed as if they were in that time. Um, it's really cool that this is there. It's just a, like a neat little addition that uh, expands it beyond just being another year, another the show with a roster change. It's a really cool thing, and and that expands to the whole package when the game opens. Um, it opens with the cover athlete uh, Jazz Chisel Jr. Uh, talking about how jazz the genre of music was inspired by baseball. Did you know this? No. So apparently the word jazz was first used as a nickname for a baseball player. And then when they were, when jazz as a concept um, needed to name, they used jazz because of that. Just one of the many. Really? Things, <laughs> yeah. One, one of the many fun facts about how baseball has changed American culture in like so many, so many ways. So yeah, even from the jump, I was like, all right, the show, all right, doing something new this year. I like it. So it's just a cool vibe. Um, one thing I will say, though, is I feel like the presentation is a little bit of a downgrade from last year. I liked kind of the cool colors of the Otani uh, year from last mm -hmm. year. This year, it's a little bit more classy, a little bit more um, uh, down key. Um, but I think some people will like that. Some people will like the cleaner appearance. Um, so, you know, uh, open to interpretation there. As for the actual gameplay, pretty much the same. They haven't changed much about the game. Uh, pitchers will be happy to know that there is now an, a button indicator on the on on the screen now next to your pick, pitching options uh, to throw to first, uh, which will come in handy because before it was like you just had to know that the button combination to do that. I think it was like hold the shoulder button and press A. Now mm -hmm. it's literally just press left. Uh, left tab i think it is left trigger or yeah. whatever yeah and other than the top button yeah, yeah one equivalent yeah and then yeah. uh to to throw to first the one major disappointment though i have um this year is that and this may not be the case i'm only in the minors so but i feel like it would be also here in the minors as well is that the rule changes don't seem to be in effect in this game the rule changes for the 2023 season there is no pitching clock that i've seen uh again only played games in the minors so i can't guarantee this is the case mm -hmm. until i get promoted but i have a feeling that if it's not there it wouldn't be there either um and the bases look the same size not that that would matter in a video game as much but um but yeah the real thing is that i was kind of excited and interested to see those rule changes in the video game and they don't seem to be here i don't know if that that's just a casualty of development times have to start so early on these games that maybe they weren't sure yet when they had started kind of pinning down the game dock here, uh, whether or not they were going to implement them. So maybe we'll see them in 24. Um, but that's kind of disappointing because, yeah, I was excited to see what pitching with a pitch clock would look like in the show. And it doesn't look like that's here. I feel like making the bases larger would be an easier fix than throwing in a pitch clock. Yes, that would be a also maybe maybe it's just because when you're playing a game, you're going to pitch a lot faster. Yeah. Just normally. It's not necessary. Is I think. Then, yeah. Yeah. Another thought that I had too. Yeah. I agree. It's like. But that being said, there's also the like football, like NCAA or yeah. NCAA. like uh, Madden has. Still has the, the countdown. So yeah. The, the, um, yeah. The play clock. Um, basketball, NBA, 2Ks has yeah. the shot clock still. I think they'll add it. I think it'll just be a next year's game. 
Okay. Because, but I was I was surprised to not see it here. Um, other than that, uh, the rest of the game seems to be largely what we got last year, which is you know not a bad thing necessarily. But it's these cool new additions I think that are the real reason to give this a shot. If you're interested at all in those new like moments, uh, there's also storyline moments that you can play that are more recent too. Uh, I mentioned to you off uh, uh, on la- la- uh, off pod, I think. Yeah. When we were mm-hmm. doing um, one of the Taylor Swift ones, I think, yes. um, uh, about how they even have recent moments that you can play as recent as the World Baseball Classic. Well, by the way, my second attempt at striking out Mike Trout was successful. I did that on stream, <laughs> too. I felt pretty good about myself. So, so yeah, uh, you can play moments from the World Baseball Classic there, uh, moments from recent seasons. Um so yeah, and you had mentioned that Madden does a similar thing. So it looks like it's just reaching mm-hmm. parity to these other sports franchises that have done similar stuff before. Um, yeah, I think it's a good package. If you like baseball, it's a no-brainer. If you have a Game Pass subscription, it's an extra no-brainer. Uh, give it a shot. Play as your favorite team. It's a good time. The show is still good. I'm happy to report. So year to year, do you think it's a good jump? I think so. Uh, like I said, those new additions are interesting enough that I think people will have a lot to dig into. But... Most people are just going to do Diamond Dynasty anyways, and so that's you're getting the game you think you're getting, is basically what I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, another disappointment, though, I guess the move to multi-platform has completely removed the uh, moving over your character from previous games. It's just gone again this year, which is why I had to start over again. So yeah, the, I feel like one of the casualties of losing that PlayStation exclusivity was that, yeah, we'll never have that progression again, which is disappointing. Well, you can't have someone who's progressed for so long going against a bunch of newbies, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's why. But yeah. So yeah. So that's why I'm a B again. (laughs) But we'll get there. Yeah, I think the reason why they haven't promoted me like they did so quickly last year was because this year, the game thinks that Carlos Estevez is our closer. (laughs) And so he's in there as our closer. And Charlie Sheen. Yeah, Charlie Sheen. <laughs> so I'm like, whether that happens in real life seems to still up to for debate. I don't know. After opening day, I don't think it's going to be Loop anymore. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Loop. I know you're already feeling bad about that performance. I don't want to exacerbate <laughs> it. I'm sure you'll do great next time. I'm sure I mean, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, man. At least just happy, happy you're not Anthony Rendon today. <laughs> anyway. Speaking of baseball. Yes, let's uh, finish up. So that's the show. Uh, it's on Game Pass. Check it out. Moving on from video games and into television, as you mentioned, we always start with the sports corner. And we'll start with, hey, baseball started. It's the MLB season, officially. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. hey. Opening day was Thursday. And yep. well, did it get off to a bang? Yeah, it literally did as your home run champ from last season and current American League Record holder for most home runs in a single season, Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees, did it again at his first at-bat homer out of the stadium. I mean, come on. Like, of course we saw this coming. Uh, Like, the guy will not stop. Uh, He is not your current home run leader. That belongs to C.J. Crone on Colorado. But that's because he only has two. So yeah, far. Only two. <laughs> oh God. I don't I think that he can catch up. Hmm. Like today, probably. Uh, actually, I don't know if the Yankees play today, probably. Uh but yeah, um, it's just yeah, it's pretty much business as usual was the theme for opening day. There weren't that many upsets. 
except for the Phillies, uh, who got surprised by a nine-run inning uh, from the from the Rangers and ended up getting a, a loss in that game. Um, um, your other surprise would be the uh, Houston Trastros yes. losing in opening day. You love to see the it. glorious fashion on ESPN. Mm, mm, sweet, sweet victory. And uh, Otani is back to his pitching ways with a yes. 10 strikeout game. Yes, Otani, a little shaky first inning, but really shook those rust that rust off. Stellar performance for the rest of the game, but the pin couldn't hold it. And in classic Angels fashion, we lose one run to the Athletics. So, uh, yeah, not everybody had a great opening day, but for the most part, it seemed like a solid start. Uh, games continue, and we'll see how it or we'll see how it all uh, checks out uh, as the season continues. Meanwhile, the final four is approaching. If you're into college basketball, your favorites are facing off. We have San Diego State versus FAU and Miami, Florida Atlantic. All right, and Miami versus UConn. So when do these games take place? So they play later today. Okay. With the championship being on Monday. All right. But they're not the only ones playing today because the women's national championship game is today. Uh, it is Columbia versus Kansas. Okay. So congratulations to both of those teams. Yeah, congrats. Looking forward to see the winners of that one. Um, yeah, so we're, we approach even, uh, uh, closer and closer to uh, one shining moment. Yeah, we do. It's only a matter of time. In the meantime, though, if you're more into sports entertainment, this is a big weekend for y'all. It's WrestleMania here in Los Angeles, I believe, right? Yes. And, it is uh, WrestleMania at SoFi Stadium. Yes, yeah, so big. Uh, wrestling events this week so keep your eyes peeled all what eight hours of the presentation or however ridiculous it is over the course of two days yeah Yeah, jesus (laughs) christ it's too long is what i say and that's all on peacock uh yes you can watch it all on peacock so if you want to then part of those festivities is selecting new wrestlers to join the wwe hall of fame this year we have ray mysterio the great muda stacy hebler and comedian Andy Kaufman. Yes, that Andy Kaufman. And yes, yes. that's Stacey Keebler. Yes, yes. Uh, some interesting choices. I get why Andy Kaufman is here. If you know anything about Andy Kaufman, you know doing wrestling bits was a very long start stretch of his, peri- uh, of his career. Uh, so it makes sense that he'd be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, anything else you want to say about WrestleMania? Uh, no, but real quickly, the Columbia versus Kansas game, that is the NIT championship. Aha. That is today. Uh, tomorrow is the NCAA championship, and that is LSU versus Iowa. Ah, very different championship. Very, very different. different teams. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> good thing you caught that. I think we've had a lot of people angry at us. Not really. Uh, I don't think anybody watches this show. Anyways, but uh, yes. Anything else in sports before we move on? Uh, yeah. WrestleMania two day events. Well, technically three days if you want to count Monday after rest or sorry Raw after WrestleMania. Okay. Uh, coming on Monday. All right. Well, so in the meantime, three straight days of big events as new storylines take place. And here is hoping that Roman Reigns finally ends the reign of his <laughs> terror on WWE. Only a matter of time to find out, I suppose. Well, 100 days as champion. <laughs> it's too many days. 
Needs to come okay. to an end. Yeah, too many days. All right, let's move on and stop talking about wrestling and stop talk uh, and start talking about a, a character who I feel like would be a wrestling fan. Just like I feel like Brie Larson. Mm, no, no, no. no. Uh, but if you're right, <laughs> maybe I don't know. He might be into it. Um, so we were mentioning these names, uh, these familiar, familiar names, because they're in the news this week. As everything old is new again, almost over a decade later. We have the return of Scott Pilgrim versus the World, but not the way that you think. A new animated show, specifically an anime, based off the comic book series and, of course, movie, will be headed to Netflix. The cast from the 2010 film will all reprise their roles. Brian Lee O'Malley, the original comic creator, serves as the showrunner, writer, and executive producer, along with movie producer Ben David Grabinski. Edgar Wright, the director and co-writer of the film, is also an executive producer with his producing partner, partner Nira Park. Science Saru, the anime studio who brought you Devilman Crybaby, the Heike story, Keep Your Hands Off Isaacin, is animating the project with its CEO, Anyong Choi, as producer, and Abel Gongora, who produced Star Wars Visions' 2B1, uh, I get it, uh, mm-hmm. as director. She could take me a second. It will feature music by Anna Managuchi, who also did the soundtrack for the video game. And Joseph Trapanese. So a lot of familiar uh, talent here. Everybody who you'd hope would be involved in this project is here. And honestly, this is exciting news. Um, I feel like an animated adaptation was always the right way to adapt Scott Pilgrim. The movie was great, don't get me wrong. But like, I feel like being able to tell that story in the way it was originally presented, seven volumes, mm-hmm. is a really interesting idea. And, like, give us a series. Why not? Yeah, that is one thing that they said that make it very different, is that they're going to explore things and yes. events that happened yes. outside of the movie and stick more in line with the comic book run. Which is um, good, because yes. there's a lot of key information that the movie skipped over. So, yeah, here's my... I'm going to have a dork corner here. I've read and loved all comics, and... Um, the thing that the books do better than the movie does is convince you how awful Scott is. Because <laughs> I think that the discourse that has followed the movie has been kind of this back and forth, like, are we supposed to like him? He's kind of a crappy guy. Like, are we supposed to feel, like, better at the end of him, end of it when he's, like, quote-unquote succeeds? And I think that, yeah, he was never intended to be a protagonist you wanted to succeed. He's always a crappy dude. The The book and the movie both jo- begin with him dating a high school girl in his 20s. You're not supposed to like this dude. You're supposed to be skeeved out by him. And so, yeah, it's literally the story of, of Scott Pilgrim is that he's like, yeah, sure, versus the world is like a little bit of a misnomer. Because really, it's the world convincing him that he was wrong <laughs> and that he needs to be better. And then he needs to do these things for the right reasons and not be awful. <laughs> so it's okay. In the movie, he did it for the Edgar Wright reasons. <laughs> yeah, very funny. Uh, but yeah, so I'm glad that this, we're getting kind of like an able uh, to reinterpret uh, this world in a different way, and the fact that all the original cast is coming back. I'm really curious about who gets cast as some characters who are not in the film. Um, there's one notable um, ex-girlfriend of Scott's that's interesting in the books and is not addressed at all in the movies that I think that gives con more context to some of the situations that's not discussed in the movie. That may be interesting here. And I wonder who that's going to be cast. Tara uh, strong. Yeah. Just because you always get her for everything. <laughs> Jenna Ortega. Uh, <laughs> second mention for Jenna Ortega. This, this podcast. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. 
it's fun. I mean, getting the original cast back together. They have done other readings before. I know they did one during the pandemic yeah. where they had everyone come on Zoom and do a live reading for it. Uh, Brie Larson wasn't a part of that one, but I'm glad right. she's back here. So yeah, and, yeah some, some more new music too. Um oh. no new music from Beck though. I believe he did part of the original score as well. He did a couple of songs from the movie, yeah. Um, yes. I just remembered I have to add a show, uh because I remembered May Whitman is in this, and I have a show to talk about with May Whitman later. It'll be brief. Thank yeah. goodness. All right. So oh, yeah, no, that cast, 2010 cast. Yeah. Very stacked. Oh yeah. They all Especially... went on to do better things after that, too, which is wild. Uh, yeah. Kind of where are they now kind of vibe. It, yeah, it's a great movie to look back to. It was like, wait, they're in this movie? Yeah. They're in this movie? They're in this movie? Yeah. So many. So many. Uh, so, anyways. This like great casting right there. Yeah. So no uh, no release date for this quite yet, but it will be on Netflix. And I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to see it come out later this year. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to something, uh, someone who has come out uh, of his project uh, this year. And that is none under another other than the Bachelor co- creator Mike Fleiss, who is parting ways with the mega dating franchise he launched more than two decades ago. Fleiss will be replaced by new showrunners Claire Freeland, Jason R- Elric, and Bennett Grabner, all of whom has have long term ties to The Bachelor. The Bachelor has been on ABC since 2002 when it launched with its flagship show. The franchise is currently in production on its 20th season of The Bachelorette. Which will air this summer. Fleiss is I think public- it just ended 26 seasons of The Bachelor proper. I believe that's true, yeah. Um, Fleiss's public facing instant strategy allowed him to present a peaceful parting of way that indicated he voluntarily left. But behind the scenes, that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, Fleiss left after investigation into allegations of racial discrimination was conducted by Warner Brothers TV. During the investigation, Variety sources say producers complained about Fleiss's bullying behavior, as well as his resistance to increasing diversity on the show over two decades. Individuals who spoke during the investigation expressed that when production staffers suggested casting more diverse reality stars, Fleiss would not take their suggestions and would lash out against them. The individuals who spoke anonymously with Variety said that throughout the investigation, a common theme that repeatedly came up with the fight for change was a source of frustration for many staff members. An individual familiar with the investigation says, quote, he would say minorities don't get ratings. Ouch. Yeah, you don't want, well, one, you don't want that getting out, but two, that's a bad thing to say. Yeah, I know. Uh, It's like, this guy sounds like a real scumbag. So, I mean, I think this kind of goes part and parcel with, what is it? I think it was five years ago when they had their first um, Black Bachelorette. Yeah, yeah. Being cast, who was a former contestant on the show. Uh, But even when that happened, that was a big deal. And I think we talked about that. Did we talk about that? We may have mentioned it. I think we mentioned it. Well, it's interesting, too, the timing for this, because the current Bachelorette, also Black. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely that conversation, I feel like, came back up again in a lot of uh, of cases. Um, yeah, this is really interesting because timing, especially for us, since we're just coming off of watching our first season of The Bachelor. Um, and yeah, I do feel like diversity is a problem, especially when you consider how many white blonde girls were in this season. It's very <laughs> easy to think, like, I feel like they could do more in this direction, have more of a variety of different people. Because it ends up feeling stagnant when you see your bachelor 
propose to yet another blonde lady. Basic white girl wins. Turns out it happened again this season. <laughs> um, so let's pivot real quick into some television thoughts. And um, I don't know, does our uh, does friend of the show have some bachelor thoughts? No, he doesn't. Well, uh, we were a little underwhelmed by the season. I think we we came out appreciating the concept, and I think we are excited to see other takes on it. Like we'll probably tune in for the Bachelorette, see how different it is. Um, but overall, we just hated the Bachelor so much that it was hard to like watch a lot of it as the season went on. What do you expect when you come from Southern California? I know Orange <laughs> County's own uh, Servite's own. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, yeah, we were we were pretty disappointed with how it went on. They made a big deal about a pivot during um, the uh, the um, what he so nicely called Sex Week with the overnight sexless. You mean Sexless Week? So no, turns out, and that was the source of the drama. Um, he had said that he didn't want to have sex with anybody that week. Ended up totally having sex with one of the girls. And yeah, felt like he needed to tell the other women this, <laughs> and everybody was mad at him. <laughs> As they should be. As they should be. Uh, so yeah, it was real sloppy. It was embarrassing. It was just such a train wreck of an ending. And I do not see this relationship that he has with blonde girl number five um, lasting very long. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. It's okay, because you can then go over and watch Love is Blind. And also be mad that dumb jock is with blonde girl number number four. Yeah. How's that going so far, season four of Love is Blind? Uh, oh, there's been some confrontations. New episodes okay. dropped yesterday. We've gone through one episode so far. Uh, they finally did some confrontation and also super cringy on like trying to like live with each other, especially when one of them introduces like, hey, here's my dog. Oh, and by the way, everything in my house is pink. I hope that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> surprise surprise like oh yeah you told me things were like you liked the color pink but i didn't realize that everything was pink and he makes a comic of drinking rosé wow even the wine is pink <laughs> <laughs> you know you got to commit to the bit if you're gonna do yes it. all right what else did yeah, you watch this week that continues um let's see here um wrapped up two shows okay uh, both of them on Disney Plus. Oh, uh, it's time to talk about how season three of The Secrets of Sulphur Springs turned out. Tell us, tell us, did it recover for you? Because you were down on season two. Yeah, I was down on season two because um, it went while it still kept um, its time traveling escapades around. <laughs> um, going, like, even further back in time, and, like, they finally figure out, oh, we can go whenever we want. Um, that they also introduce at the end of the season this sort of ghostly figure um, at the end of season two. And that's where I was like, if they're going to actually go this route, I don't want to pay attention to it anymore. <laughs> well, shame on past me for thinking uh, that, because okay. season three came out, and I watched it, and congratulations past me, you were right on track. Uh, they did focus primarily on the ghostly entity that's haunting the hotel. But they also did something that they probably realized or realized that they could do because they have a time machine. You can go forward in time. And that's what they did. Yeah. To the year 2024. 
Oh no. Because be, because since this all takes place over the course of a summer, when this first season came out, they're all perpetually stuck in 2020. So in order to move the story ahead, <laughs> where they currently are, you gotta you to. jump them ahead in the that's, timeline. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good it's solution kind of to smart, that problem. It's kind of smart right around, because these are kids who are going to age up really quickly soon here. So here's my question, though. As a perennial stickler for how time travel is presented in fiction... Did they do it convincingly for you? Did they stick to their rules? Uh, n- no, not really. <laughs> because they do. Because when you jump around to the future, you do jump, but jump, jump around and kind of mess with that kind of like fate. And oh, I want things to change. Yeah. I want things to be different. But will they always end up being this way? Who knows? It. it but it's Disney Channel, so of course they're yeah. gonna fix everything uh they do it the disney way of yeah we're going to help like everyone who we need to help we're going to figure out um getting around all the uh pronoun games that everyone's yeah. playing all the vagueness to figure out what exactly happened so we can go back in time with our actual time machine and fix it so it never happens so do you think they landed it do you think like it's an okay like version of this kind of story for their their uh expected audience for this thing i think they've I think the original like time travel go back in time to like um wreak havoc with your dad, kind of like a back to the future style <laughs> worked for season one. Uh-huh. But since then they've been just doing different sci-fi elements for each season. And yeah. much in the same way that like Netflix reality shows go, <laughs> they're not gonna stick to any kind of rule book and be like, Well, yeah. what what story do we want to rip off this season? Yeah, and I think that... that well, what with... new hygiene sci-fi concept mm-hmm. do we want to introduce now? So it comes with diminishing returns, is what it sounds like, because that is never yeah. going to work the same way that it did the first time. No. Yeah. Well, But so there's that's... kind of fun adventures. I mean, I like the kids. The kids can act in this thing. They're pretty good. I'd like to see them um, continue on to the other project that they're going to do. Any Olivia Rodrigo-style breakthrough uh, uh, kids here? Do you think one of those is going to be big? Uh yeah, the the main lead actress. Uh, okay. I don't know what her name is. Okay. Well, that's Secrets of the Soul of Sulphur Springs season three. That's a lot of S's. Oh yes. Uh, what oh, else did you watch? Her uh her name is oh Kylie Curran. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh the two leads, Kylie Curran and Preston Oliver, which is a very white, white kid name. Yeah. Preston Oliver is the most like I am homeschooled, name I've ever heard. <laughs> Preston Oliver, Kaylee Curran, and L. Graham are the three main leads. So I expect them in like five years' time mm-hmm. to be like household names. All right. The next Jenna Ortega. Maybe. Hat trick. I mentioned Jenna Ortega three times. Uh, more, more like a Reed Storm, probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you've heard of them. You know they're from something that you've watched. Yeah. So where did they come from? Yes. All right. Well, uh, all right, keeping with the Disney Plus train rolling, uh, The Bad Batch, season well, the bad two. Bad Bitch. I mean, The Bad Batch. Yes, season two, finally wrapped up uh, after what well, feels like forever, 18 weeks. I mean, this thing like, premiered at the beginning of the year. Finally wrapped up, finally got the conclusion, and it might be the best show no one's watching right now. Okay, all right. Because uh, I really liked what season one did with introducing the new character of Omega, and the post-war fallout 
from transitioning away from the clone army into the stormtrooper army. Hey, here's something that'll get the internet mad at you. Do you think this is better than Andor? Possibly, yes. Ooh. I don't know why everyone's all up on all up in Andor's. People shit love right now. Andor, like. But it came out last year. We talked about it last year when it came <laughs> out. Anyway, so and this was, is the problem with Andor was that it was three different stories told over two episodes or three episodes for an eight episode season. Yeah, it's like they're very. Each story was very. Com- Men- compartmentalized there you go. yes you got there yes yeah, the, <laughs> the, the five syllable five syllable plus word <laughs> monosyllabic as they say um no, monosyllabic is the opposite right it's one one yes. syllable yes po- po- polysyllabic is that a thing i think it is it has to be right uh, yeah. so bad batch season <laughs> once again sees our heroes <laughs> on the run as they try and you know, want to uncover the conspiracy that is how all the clones basically disappear from hmm. the prequels to the original trilogy. That once you get to the original trilogy, there are no clones. So yeah. what so that's the main story, the drive point of the Bad Batch is what happened between the Clone <laughs> Wars and the the beginning of the new empire. Like where'd all the clones go? What happened to them? Did they just like all get like turned off not really because they're not <laughs> machines so are they just out there somewhere like what happened and that's where the bad batch kind of takes off from the clone wars because it's no longer about the clone wars it's about survival for this specific clone force 99 for the titular bad batch yeah well they're they're um the their their number is 99 but uh-huh. they're they're affirmed the bad batch because they were genetically modified to be perfect soldiers in their in their dedicated field. Oh, they're like solid snake. A little bit, yeah. Okay. Um and that's kind of the fun thing is that <laughs> they're 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 perfect soldiers, but they also have to try to take care of the kid. <laughs> so season two expands on that. Uh <laughs> it's a fun show. I really like what they did. Uh, a lot of the stories feel like one-offs at times. Sorry. What? I'm sorry. Because she turned around and gave me the weirdest look, but I said solid snake. Because she doesn't know what that is. <laughs> I'm just imagining what she's probably like. She has no idea no. what he said. No, no exclamation point went off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please go on. Uh, so it's so that's what uh, the Bad Batch down through two seasons is more or less about trying to find what happened with what's going on with the clone army now that they're no longer needed, mm-hmm. and for this specific clone batch of troops to find their next home outside of being soldiers. Like uh, it's kind of that idea of. What does a soldier fight for when there's no fight? There's no longer a fight. Okay. That's why it's like so good. It takes all these like very concept, high concept um ideas and puts it into a very easy storytelling bits that flows well between the live action and the animated stuff that well, once again, Dave Filoni, yeah, I was say. of it, is very known for. So why they the why they have yet to give him yeah. like the keys to the kingdom yet? I don't know. 
who knows but i'm glad it's good i'm glad that uh star wars people have a lot to like recently there's been a lot of good stuff yeah uh season two was a bit of a slow burn <laughs> i didn't really like get into the first couple episodes mm-hmm because uh, I was still trying to like set up, well, what do we want this season two to be about? Right. But once it got going, it got going. I was hooked, and I'm kind of glad that I binge-watched it, because waiting week after week to find out what happened next, it would be like, I don't know, pretty agonizing. Like, well, what's the next thing? Like, there's so much cliffhanger stuff that they always end on. I need yeah. more information. Yeah. Similar to what they're currently doing with Mando season uh, three. Okay. Four? Yeah, season three. three. Mando season three. Okay. All right, well, that sounds that sounds all right. Yeah. What else do we got this week? Lastly, on Disney Plus, uh, also dropped earlier this week, uh, I'm back to Hawaii. Yes. Because Doogie, Kamala Aloha, season two, mm-hmm. is out. All episodes are out on Disney Plus now. Uh, and we see our favorite young doctor, young 16 doc, 16, 18-year-old doctor, in, set in Hawaii back i thought the show wasn't going to get a season two yeah i didn't even know it was getting a season two i didn't know that either um but it's back i like that they're moving the the characters on uh Um, it's no longer kind of introducing everyone now that everyone's kind of established it's it oscillates between like an actual like doctor show and trying to be a teenage kind of love drama show does uh neil patrick harris come by again no. no, he's yet to be on the show. But, oh, he wasn't even in the pilot. No, but there was an Alice and a Hannigan sighting. <gasps> yes, in the second episode where wow. they did a very Disney thing, <laughs> set in Hawaii, mm-hmm. where they went to Aulani, and it was p- practically a hey, here's uh, here's how we're going to get you your season two budget. I mean, I'm not help promote Aulani. <laughs> I'm not surprised, honestly. Like you had told me, okay, this ta- this show takes place in Hawaii and it's on Dis- uh, Disney property. Of course, they're going to go to Aulani at some point. Like they have I, to. I, I'm surprised they didn't even do it with season one. So yeah, I know. That's part of the like, first like, thing. Yeah. I wonder if that was like part of their deal. Like we'll give you a season two, but you got to do an episode <laughs> set around. You got to go to Aulani. Oh, wow. You got to sell sell vacation packages. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well. um, so um, how does this compare to something like The Good Doctor? Is this like similar in structure where it's like they kind of balance the drama? You mentioned they balance the drama with the uh, kind of the issues that this person is going through. Um, yeah, well, except with this, it's more about her trying to be a kid while living in yeah. a doctor world, whereas The Good Doctor is more about being in an actual doctor with actual medical cases. Right, her, uh, her challenge. Very, yeah, I think it's too very life-threatening, except in season two, because she is trying to treat a cancer patient. Oh, but cancer patient is also hot bad boy, and you know he's <laughs> a hot bad boy because he zips by on his dirt bike motorcycle, uh-huh. takes off his helmet, whisks his hair back, go wah, and then puts his helmet back on, not say anything, and drives off. Oh, he's, the, he's mysterious, mysterious bad boy who happens to have cancer. <laughs> And so, and so, Doctor Doogie, mm-hmm. um, obviously, is torn between the love from the first season and mysterious bad boy who only has months to live because cancer. Yeah. Huh. Well, the stakes are raised. So, uh, okay, cool. Does it work? 
it works. It works more than like the teenage love drama than it does like the it, doctor stuff. The doctor stuff because it is more. I want to be a teen. Like we want this character to be a teenager and have those teenager experiences, but they're also a doctor. Mm-hmm. And it does present this weird conundrum in uh, very early in the season of if she is a doctor and not going to the school, <laughs> and her boyfriend is a surfer and not going to the school, how did they both end up going to the school dance? <laughs> Yeah, you think that there would be like a requirement, like you have to at least attend to be eligible to go to the dance, but yes, maybe not. Oh, also because um, at the end of season one, a uh, surfer boyfriend was going on an Australian world tour. Guess who he comes back with? I don't know who. Australian friend who's also a girl. Of course, because of they course. need to have you know if they're going to introduce a new love interest for her, they need to also do so for the point. Yeah, it makes sense. Yes, makes sense. Yep. Tension. Yep, yep, tension and parody. All right. Well, fun. Uh, so that's it's, it's a Aloha season two. Yeah, it's a um, casual, fun show, easy watch. Yeah. So I never, I don't know if I asked this for season one. Does the theme song riff on the theme song of the original Doogie Howser? Is there do do no. do do Oh, man, what a well, wasted opportunity. Wait, does it? I'm not sure because the theme song <laughs> is on a uh, ukulele. Oh, it's on a so ukulele? Okay. That's what it might. Is it a ukulele cover of the Doogie Howser theme? I think is it that... might be, yeah. Oh, I need to listen to that then. I need to find out what that is. Well, that's wonderful. So that's season and... two of Doogie Kamaloha. Doogie Kamehaloha, yeah. Kamehaloha on Disney+. Plus. Yep. Doogie. And, yeah. And it's set in Hawaii. So be it all the like beautiful Hawaii scenery and surfing and mm-hmm. turtle shots that you can get. Yeah, that's yeah, why you do the show in Hawaii. All yeah. right, so moving off of Disney Plus, um, I'll just re- uh, use this moment to briefly talk about something we watched this week. Uh, it'll be quick, I promise. Okay. Hulu's Up Here, uh, which is a new uh, musical comedy, uh, and I'm emphasizing the word musical on purpose here. Forget about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or Gallivant or the many tries that this that 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 we've had at this concept before schmigadoon the closest is schmigadoon but i'll get to why that's even not even accurate here so hulu is trying it again uh but this time they got the heavy hitters this involves none other than the lopez's of frozen fame um doing the Mm -hmm. music here and a director of hamilton and several stars that you know of including may whitman who we talked about earlier um so this is a may whitman vehicle and uh, it is a musical show. And oh, sorry, uh, I think that I'm uh, missing a name that I didn't mention. No. Oh, okay, I got a glare, and I wasn't sure why. <laughs> uh, but yeah, <laughs> it was a yes, we did because we talked about the Scott Pilgrim stuff. Anyway, um, so yeah, um, this is a musical show in the like the most pure definition of that word these are musical theater people bringing you a show that takes a lot of musical theater elements and tries to translate that into a sitcom and i think it works with mixed results is where i'm kind of sitting on this thing so unlike crazy ex-girlfriend these songs are presented in traditional musical theater ways and they sound like musical theater songs it's very clear that that is what it's trying to specifically evoke the actual plot here is a more traditional uh finding love again with two kind of mismatched individuals kind of theme 
in New York City. Um, I don't want to surprise anybody, but the the girl is a writer and the guy is a bank, like a like an investment banker, essentially. And of course, their worlds clash and they have arguments and they go back and forth. But of course, it's peppered with songs. So you get like that emotional um, storytelling through these performances that they kind of break and do. Some of them are better than others. The songs uh, are largely the best part of the show, though, because as the as its store story, it's not too exciting. And it's not doing too too much special things with its plot. It's pretty predictable rom com kind of territory. But if you're in a musical theater, I feel like there's enough to grasp onto because there's enough references to things that you're familiar with. There's enough people who'd be like, "Oh, this guy was in this." Or, oh, I knew this guy could sing because of X, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and the fact that it's the Lopez's is interesting because you get a little bit of the, the like songs that are reminiscent of other songs that they've written in their career. And you're like, oh, OK, there's a through line here. We haven't finished it quite yet. I'm interested to see how it lands and if there is a future for this thing. It's all up on Hulu now. It's not a weekly release. So you can see it all if you are interested in it. But ultimately, I feel kind of mixed about it. I feel like when it's, I feel like the musical comedy in this format is an interesting format, but I'm still waiting for the show that feels like it really clicks, and this isn't quite it. It's close, but it's not quite hitting that button as much as I want it to. Okay. Um, so, kind of like going through the trailer here and like the mm. um, the cast, their inner voices Mm -hmm. that's the hook of the show so the one thing they try to do but again it, it doesn't feel super original is that the two leads have three voices in their head that are constantly there like visualized on screen you see them they're interacting with the character but they're not diegetic they're not actually being seen by other people um they'll do the performances they'll sing songs and stuff and they'll interact with the characters and it's kind of like, oh, you're a member, like, it's basically, like, they have these voices in their head that are annoying them or keeping them down or, um, like, complicating their decision-making process, which, of course, adds to the trauma of the show. Um, does our, our, our correspondent have anything she likes to say? It's something much less like in my head. Apparently, that was a song cue uh, for, for, <laughs> for Christy. Um... <laughs> so is so, it yeah. like very musical like all original numbers there are original yes they're original numbers um and yeah like i said i think that's the best part of it we even thought we haven't pointed out uh christy specifically really liked the uh choreography um it seems like very stagey although like, to that point though the last thing i'll say because i know we got to move on um last thing i'll say about it is the numbers aren't the only thing that is stagey. Um, you can definitely tell that the writers here come from stage backgrounds because the dialogue is very stagey. And it took me out of it for the first few episodes. I was like, it doesn't feel like it's written for TV in that way. It sounds like this would be natural on a stage, but it doesn't feel natural on a single cam show. Oh, I, sorry, I, I failed to mention that. Yeah, uh, Chrissy points out that apparently the actual original concept is a musical that they had written prior. This is an adaptation of that. It's expanded to a series. Um, okay. So Why it is it sense. called Up Here, though? Because it's the voices up here in your head. Oh, that... They say that multiple times. That's why it's called that. 
Oh, anyways, okay, so, whatever. You know, we'll we'll stay around with it throughout the see how they land at the end of the season. But ultimately, like I said, it's not quite hitting for me. Um, but I like the idea of a show like this. I just wish it was a little better. Okay, so that's up here on Hulu. All right, uh, sounds a bit high concept. A little, which is the thing with these musical comedies, is that they're a little high concept. Uh, but. At least we're getting closer and closer. We're inching towards this feeling like a good idea. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to talk about another high concept then. Okay. Uh, this is called The Big Door Prize. This, this is, is a, a new thing. Show? No, this is a new <laughs> series. Might as well be a game show. This is a new series on Apple TV+. Plus. Okay. Uh, this one stars... Um, okay. the guy from Bridesmaids. Which guy? The cop. <laughs> oh, geez, what's his name? Uh, yeah, what's his name? Um, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I don't remember what's his, his face. Name. Anyways, uh, anyways, he is. It stars him and his family. And the small town, uh, Chris O'Dowd, that's his name. Okay. Uh, uh, a, a small town uh, where everyone knows everyone, everyone's up in each other's business. And mm-hmm. then one day in the town general store, a mysterious machine shows up. Oh. That tells you about your life's potential. Mm-hmm. It'll sell, tell you what, like, how to, like, what you can do to fulfill your life's potential. Of course, you have to first give them your social security number and your fingerprint, but they gloss right <laughs> over that. Much the same way that I do. Just like uh, Tax Haven 3000. I assume that's going to come back and be like, hey, like this is what it's actually for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a machine called a Morpho machine, and it tells you your life's potential. Okay. Whether or not you actually want to... Um, Believe it is up to you. And I say that with the most like plot driven mm-hmm. kind of a hopefulness I can. Because, of course, like if you enter the machine to try to figure out your life's potential, are you just going to ignore your destiny like that? Or what this machine says is your life's potential? Mm-hmm. Also, what if you're already living your life's potential? Is it just deflating? Like, yeah. There's nothing more than this. Like I've hit my potential, so it, kind of, it's, it's, it involves and explores themes like that throughout the show with the different characters. Like one character who thinks that she's just a mom gets the card royalty. One character who thinks he's just an outcast, just like I've gone through some terrible stuff. My family's breaking apart, but he gets the card hero. Hmm. Like, this card doesn't apply to me. Like, why would he give me this card? This thing doesn't work. And then he saves someone, and people claim him to be a hero. And like, oh, does this machine know something? Is it like a future-predicting machine? Hmm. So, is this kind of like a monkey's paw situation, or does it seem like it's generally a positive thing that these are these people's fates? Uh, it is not a monkey's paw si- It could be a monkey's paw situation. We don't know because- yet. We don't know yet. There's only three episodes. Oh, I got it. Uh, but someone, don't know who, in the school, uh, 
drew the card liar. Okay. Don't know who. Part of the mystery, but mm-hmm. it like it spits out these these cards, and it tells you what your potential is, is like how a, to reach your potential. You mentioned that it goes through these different character stories. Is this an ensemble show where all this is happening at once, or is this an individual episode as about this character, episode about this character, and they're no, all it's kind not, of linked by this machine? Uh, no, so it's not a um, after party situation. Okay, where you where every where each episode resets. It's more, here's the continuation of the story from uh, Chris O'Dowd and his family. Okay. So there's a core story, but there's like spokes coming off of this for B stories. Yeah. Of like people being skeptic about entering the machine, about, I think eventually everyone in the town feels like enters the machine and like gets their card Mm -hmm. and how it kind of like shifts the dynamic in the town. Hmm. Mm Hmm. It's really interesting. It's really um, trying to get that sci-fi element of both like a butterfly effect of, well, what if there are these different branching paths that you could take? And we're going to tell you to clue in on one. Okay. But you still follow that path? Or is this just stuff that kind of happens around your circumstance, like the hero card that says, hey, maybe there's something more in play here than, than just like, you getting a card and going on to fulfill your potential. So you're right about this being... This card is saying is your potential. Yeah, you're right about this being really high concept. Does it work? Is it fun to watch, or do you think it's like aiming too high? Uh, It's in that weird upper echelon of, is it aiming too high, or is it just high enough to keep you interested? Because (laughs) I'm interested in watching it. uh, So the first three episodes uh, premiered this week. Um, then it's going to be a weekly basis. So I'm interested to see where it goes next. Yeah. But there's also a lot of stories that appear to have happened before the first episode that they leak little information here and there on the different characters mm-hmm. um, that you don't get immediately. Because there's a tragedy that happened in this town where one of the students died. Doesn't say who, doesn't say, like, it really doesn't say, like, who died. I didn't say how they died, but over the course of the three episodes, you get the little bits and pieces of, oh, they were in a relationship with this person. Oh, they're actually like siblings with this person. No, they're actually twins with this person. So I kind of don't like that. It's like, oh, by the way, here's this little extra added wrinkle to everything. Here's a little extra added thing that happens here. Like leaving a little breadcrumb trail where you have to like you're addicted to watching it because you want to like gather all this information and find out more. Yeah, but I'd also like them to just say, like sit down, <laughs> and say, here's, here's everything that happened. Yeah, like, but just that's, to get you caught up. If they did that, it wouldn't be a series. And they have to keep that momentum going. I I mean, yes, yeah. I know that. I know that's how TV's written. <laughs> I just that yeah. it's just that when they appear, when the breadcrumbs appear. It's more of like, here's a twist just because you don't know this now. Okay. It's not a twist to further the plot. It's a twist because you, as the audience, now need to know this. Okay. Instead um, of like, yeah. So you mentioned there's three episodes out. Is this weekly uh, from now on? or It's now weekly from now on, yeah. Okay. The same way Shrinking was two mm-hmm. episodes and then weekly. And this is Apple TV, you said? Yep, Apple TV. Okay. The big Apple door TV. prize. The big door prize. So that's that. So check that out if that sounds interesting. Anything else on TV that we want to talk about before we move on? 
let's see here. I didn't finish Dance 100. Okay. I don't know if nothing's compelling me to go back <laughs> and finish it. Yeah. Uh, especially since all episodes are out, it's one of those. Yeah. Um, I need something on, so I'll put that on. And we still uh, haven't so, gone back to uh, my kind of country. I want to keep going on that, but uh, we just haven't had the time. So that's okay. My kind of that's that's what I was going to bring up is my kind yeah. of country season. Fin- the season is ending on Wednesday. That was fast. Yeah, I thought that too. <laughs> Man, I got a lot of catch up to do then. <laughs> well, it's like eight episodes. Uh, okay, so it's a short, short show. Yeah. So yeah, there's I, three. There's, there's the three judges, and then there's right. two like showcase episodes. Showcase kind of episodes, yeah, and then a two part finale okay. on Wednesday. Well, so we next week we can talk about um, our kind of country, like yeah, the whole thing. Uh, our kind of country, yes. collectively our kind of country. Yes, I mean yeah, you're watching just, it too, so it is collective. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm hoping to finish that up. All right, then let's wrap up that discussion and move on to cancellations and renewals what am i no longer watching first up adult swim has renewed something called royal crackers for a second season i don't even know what this is that is because it will have its premiere this week today oh, i think it has yet to premiere okay that makes sense yeah i think that's a today premiere or tonight right. premiere because april fools ah I see. that makes sense meanwhile paramount plus uh Moving on with Star Trek shows as a fifth season of Lower Decks is on the way and a third season of Strange New Worlds. So Star Trek fans are happy. Next up, Freeform will has said that the sixth season of Grown-ish will be its last. So one of the um, Black-ish spinoffs will see its end coming up here. Then we have... CBS renewing Blue Bloods for a 14th season. That's a lot of seasons mm-hmm. of Blue Bloods. Uh, NBC bringing back American Ninja Warrior for a 16th season. Netflix is bringing back The Night Agent for a second season. So, a smattering of things. Yeah. Then we have one death this week. Uh, rough, rough one. Uh, yet another nut member of LFO has passed. Specifically, Brian Gillis, age 47. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that's, it is. Like, there's a curse young. on that band or something. Because, yeah, this is the second time. Um, yeah, um, they'll always be remembered, of course, for the seminal summer jam, Summer Girls, which here in this household we love and honor every summer. <laughs> we also love girls who wear Abercrombie and Finch. It's true. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that is now two of the three members. Damn. Yeah, it's very strange. I don't know what's going on with LFO, but. We honor them. We also, uh, Chinese food does not make me sick, but yeah. You know, uh, hopefully, it did not make him sick either. <laughs> Let's move on uh, to the last section of the show today, which is movies. And we always start the movie section with the weekend box office numbers. Yep. Your number one movie this week, debuting. No, at surprise. no surprise. No surprise. Here. People love Keanu Reeves, and he's back in theaters with John Wick Chapter 4 premiering to $73 million domestic. Your number two movie, moving down up's peg, is Shazam! A Fury of the Gods with $9.3 million. That adds to a $45 million total. Number three, Scream 6, with $8.3 million this week. That's at $89 million. Number four, Creed 3, with another $8.1 million. That's at $140, doing pretty well for itself. And rounding out your top five, not doing very well for itself, is 65 with only $3.2 million. That's way, way down the list at only $27 million domestic. I think that is a bomb, folks. 
Yes, uh, will not reach the sixty-five million it was um, trying to achieve. <laughs> yeah, didn't even didn't even reach its titular uh, number, which is yeah. sad. <laughs> Coming this week, though, uh, we have, let's see. the. This is the big week. This is the big week. Uh, if you were waiting for a movie, it probably comes out this week. But, of course, before we get to the big one, there's also Paint, which is, I believe, a... Uh, who, who's who's in this? This is Owen uh, Wilson. Owen off. Wilson, uh, basically in a story inspired by, but not based on, Bob Ross. It's a because they couldn't get like, the rights to, yeah, say, Bob Ross for some reason. Owen Wilson plays a Bob Ross type, yes. uh, and shenanigans ensue. So paint that's out this week. We also have uh, the uh, horror movie, The Pope's Exorcist, mm-hmm. probably does exactly what it says in the title. Uh, so if that sounds like a good time, go yes, see the, the Pope's Exorcist. The Pope needs an exorcist. Hey, Sorry, no, the Pope is performing an exorcist. Yeah, maybe. Ooh, actually, it's unclear. That's the wonderful thing about this title, is it's <laughs> open to interpretation whether the Pope is being exercised or whether the Pope is performing the exorcism. Who knows? I mean, with his health, I do hope the Pope exercises. <laughs> Not that exercise. And uh, you also have, um, oh boy, this one seems like a trip. Renfield uh, starring a hamming it up Nicolas Cage as Dracula, which the trailer for this is amazing if you haven't seen it. Oh boy. Uh, so that's out this week as well. But of course, everybody get out of the way because bring your th- kids. They're going to want to see this one. It's finally time for the Super Mario Brothers movie. It is out in theaters this Friday. I'm sorry. Did you say get out of the way for the kids? No. The kids need to get out yeah. of the way for the adults who are going to. For the 30 somethings who are going to fucking be yes, there. Just run right into <laughs> Yes. All the Thursday screenings for this. Just so, yeah. push them out of the way, wearing your Mario shirts, yep, yep. peering it's, at the screen. It feels weird being days away from this thing being real, because I feel like we've been talking about it for years at this point. Like, well, Yes, ever since the announcement that crisp, Crispy Rat was going <laughs> to voice the titular hero. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how Mario does. I think this will be a big hit. If this is not number one, something has happened. <laughs> if it's All not right. number one, it's because we didn't see it enough. Yes. Let's move on uh, to our first movie story here, which talks about one of the stars of one of the films that was in our top five, Creed 3. But it's not good news. We're talking about Jonathan Majors, current star, both in Creed 3 and also in the recent Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. He was arrested on Saturday in New York City, accused of domestic dispute. According to police, the victim, who was not identified, quote, sustained minor injuries to her head and neck and was removed to an area hospital in stable condition, end quote. Major's rep issued a statement saying he has done nothing wrong. We look forward to clearing his name and clearing this up. Per law enforcement sources, um, police were told that the alleged victim is Major's girlfriend. And according to her, they got into an argument while in a taxi returning home from a bar in Brooklyn. All right, so, you know, let's do our usual cleanup. This is alleged. You're not necessarily mm-hmm. sure this that this took place in the way that it did. However, if this did actually take place, this is kind of a big deal. I mean, he's a major. He's the he's the antagonist, I believe, in Creed Three, right? He's yes. he's in that movie a lot. Yes, he's the antagonist in Creed Three. He's the antagonist in Ant Man and the Wasp, which he's is also the, the antagonist time. in yes. the um, U.S. Army commercials that they've well, been. Yes, they've pulled but actually the biggest... since this. 
the biggest thing to mention here, though, is the Marvel stuff, because Marvel has a decision to make here because mm -hmm. they've pinned a lot of the future of the Marvel franchise on the character that Jonathan Majors plays. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that's my understanding. He is the big bad. Right. So depending on how this goes, Marvel has a very Ezra Miller style decision potentially to make in the future about whether to proceed in their current plans. Um and ultimately really hinges on how Jonathan Majors himself treats this. Um, hopefully they don't go out on a lamb like Ezra, Ezra did. Well, it's okay because <laughs> Jonathan Majors will have Disney lawyers behind them. Mm -hmm. And we saw what Disney lawyers did earlier this week to the state of Florida. That is true. Yeah, so oh, this is a lot of, like, this is just the beginning, I feel like, of this story. We're going to have to watch this one as it evolves because... Um, I don't remember the last time where something like this happened with such a pivotal person that's so integral to a big franchise that a lot of changes would have to be made if suddenly uh, this person is not able to act. It'll be interesting uh, to see. I mean, he's already shot his scenes for Loki Season 2 okay. coming out this summer, which I think Disney is kind of playing their bets now of Jonathan Majors, stay down, right. go hush, just for a case, while yeah. mm -hmm. until Loki season two comes out and people are like, we love Jonathan Majors again yeah. and we can move forward. And of course, I want to be clear. Um our hearts we're not to... rooting for John yeah. we're not rooting for Jonathan Majors here. Yeah, I want to be very clear. Career. We want to make sure that yeah. That that of course our hearts go out to the, the alleged victim here. Um this sucks. Like if this is true that Jonathan Majors is kind of a scumbag. I don't wish we would I didn't want to get there, but it looks like this might be the case. And we're just reporting on the rest of this newsy stuff because we're a media podcast. I just want to make that clear that we're not saying it, it excusing his behavior, his potential alleged behavior at all. It's just, it just, it's, there's a big picture here that it's going to complicate things in media in an interesting way beyond just the internal, just personal drama that I'm sure that is going on here. So whew, rough story, rough story. But, uh, good, we'll keep an eye out. Here's the silver lining is that because they're dealing with a multiverse uh, genre yeah. with Marvel, they could easily say, oh, here's the new actor right. who just comes in and wipes out Jonathan Major's character, the nice and thing here's about, the big bad. Right. The nice uh, thing about working also, with, yeah, comic yeah. books is that you can just make a comic book excuse for, they look like this now. They're played by this other person now. We figured it out. Or you have Fantastic Four come in, you do Doctor Doom, and Doctor Doom just mm -hmm. immediately wipes out King and be like, oh, you thought he was bad? Boom, new muscle in town. Very last Jedi style move right there. Yes, like very last Jedi style. Off. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so we'll keep an eye on that story. We'll keep uh we'll keep you updated as it evolves. Let's move well, let's on. Stick with Disney though, because yes, stick with their Disney. Re their new their live action remakes keep chugging along. Yeah, hope you're not sick of CGI cats, uh, because more are coming our way from none other than Questlove? Question mark. After winning the Oscar for Best Documentary last year, Amir Questlove Thompson has found his feature film directing debut, as he will helm a live-action-slash-hybrid reimagining of Disney film The Aristocats for Walt Disney Studios. Thompson also is executive producing and overseeing music for the film, whose script is by Will Gluck and Keith Bonin. Okay. The six-time Grammy winner Thompson made the jump into directing with his doc, Summer of Soul, course like they said like like the story mentioned one 
uh, Best Documentary at the Oscars last year, um, which of course was about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. The pick premiered at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival, taking home the Grand Jury Prize and culminating at that 2022 Oscars. Since then, Questlove has been weighing his options of what made sense when it came to directing a feature film, somehow ultimately landing on Aristocats. This is a weird-ass story. I don't understand how you get Questlove to direct, to direct, italicize that word, um, Aristocats for Disney. It's what, what could have possibly convinced him? Something at me screams Disney Plus exclusive immediately yeah, with this. I agree. This is, this is not a theatrical release, right? Like, there's no way it is. Also, question about the CG cats. Is this going to be like the, like it's shot in live action, but the cats are CG and look like normal ass cats? Is that what's happening here? Did you not watch Lady and the Tramp on Disney Plus? No, of course I didn't. No one oh, did. Okay. Well, there's your comparison then. And yeah, also, there's your kind of future predicting of how this is going to do. Yeah. If no one watched Lady of the Tramp. I wonder how much they're banking on Questlove bringing in people because, like, what? Hey, he's a well liked figure. And I think he's an interesting enough figure to get us talking about the story, right? Like, if this was anybody else directing this film, we probably wouldn't have reported it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, an interesting it, move. It also be interesting to see, like you said, like who of his friends and well-known people will he get to voice uh, these yeah. cool cats? Yeah, I was going to say, because that's the other wrinkle here, is that bringing in somebody so musically inclined makes me hope that they're going to really lean into the jazz aspect of the Aristocats. It was mm -hmm. there in the original, but I feel like it's easy to forget um, how integral it was to the plot. I haven't seen the Aristocats in a long-ass time, but that was my memory of it. Like, you know, everybody I mean, wants to be things. a cat. Yeah, there's two things that everyone knows about the Aristocats. One, yeah. it was set in Paris. Right. Two, the jazz scene, everybody wants right. to be a everybody cat. Everybody wants to be a cat, because it was on the sing-along songs tape that everybody had as a millennial yeah. kid. So, like, yeah, no, um, I'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it works out. This is a weird one, <laughs> needless to say. Uh, I mean, this live-action hybrid, so next year? Maybe. Probably. Next year. Disney Plus, though, I think you're on the uh, right. Yeah, on the it's got to be now. Disney Plus. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap yeah. up the show by talking about a uh, thought, I believe. Uh, you have a question mark next to Tetris. I didn't watch this, did you? No, that's why I have the question mark okay. there. I don't know if well, you then, did. next week, um, okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I do plan on seeing that soon. So uh, we'll talk about well, it next time. Well, there's two movies then. Um, we'll talk about next week. They're both on Apple TV Plus. Mm -hmm. The first one is Tetris, starring mm -hmm. Taron Edgerton. Yep. About. The video game Tetris. Well, yeah, creation. specifically about the fascinating story of how it came to be, um, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, I'm excited to see this one. I know a lot of the history. So to see all of those wonderful real life people played by modern actors is fascinating. I'm <laughs> like, man, who's going to play um, uh, Nintendo president Hiroshi Umauchi? I'm like, I want to see Umauchi chew up some scenery in this thing. Excited. Uh, the second movie coming out on Apple TV Plus yeah. on Wednesday is... I think it's Wednesday, um, is Air. Oh, yeah, Air, uh, which is the... Um... Uh, the uh, Michael Jordan uh, Nike shoe right. uh, film. I believe that's on Wednesday. Yeah, April 5th. Yeah, that's Wednesday, April 5th. Yeah. So That's good. That's good casting. Both of those <laughs> are going to be on Apple TV+. Plus. We'll, yeah. I'm, I'm going to watch both of them. 
Okay. Uh, I didn't get to touch this because it came out yesterday. Literally I think. last night. Yeah. Literally last night. Yeah. yeah. It was a two hour film. I was like, do I, why don't I start this at 10 o'clock and stay up till midnight? No. Trust me, you do not want to stay up till midnight. <laughs> <laughs> don't recommend it. But you don't want to meet Taylor at midnight? <laughs> she can. I'm going to sleep. Taylor can stay up. <laughs> Right. And then, yeah, Air. Uh, so that one is directed by Ben Affleck, starring Ben That's Affleck. That's what I was trying and... to say. I was like, I couldn't remember if he directed it or not. Yes, Ben Affleck directed Air. Yes. Um, also starring his friend, Matt Damon. Oh, yes, yes, you know. Maddie. Matt, Maddie, <laughs> Maddie D. <laughs> as, as Christy loves to call him. They're on, they're on a really friendly basis, so, you know. So that's uh, next it's... week. Uh, but... <laughs> Available on um, Peacock is yes. M. Night Shyamalan's film from earlier this year. Oh, you watched the M. Night Shyamalan, Shyamalan movie. Yes, A, a Knock, knock at, at the, the cabin. cabin. All right. Yes, about What's the up? apocalypse. Oh, it's about the apocalypse. That's not yes. what I thought this movie was about at all. Not to be confused with Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, that's first where my brain went. I mean, I knew it's not that, but I'm like, sounds like it. So yeah. what is what's up with the knock at the cabin? So knock at the cabin is a family who's vacationing in a cabin in the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to be confused with cabin in the cabin woods. Cabin in the woods, it's different. Yes, different. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are visited by four very random, very strange people who claim that they are there to prevent the apocalypse. Okay, claim and that <laughs> one of them must kill one of the other people in order to prevent said apocalypse. Okay, so it's like one of those, you know, those those personality quiz questions where it's like if you had to kill, or like the trolley problem in a way, where it's like yeah. if you could press this button, somebody had to die but you'd win a million dollars, would you do it kind of thing? Yeah, it's would you kill your spouse or your child to save seven million people? It's like, yeah, one of those um, impossible scenario kind of things. Yeah, um, except there's no M. Night Shyamalan twist with this. It's very straightforward. Like, okay, here's what it is. I mean, I guess the twist could be like, do you believe these people? Like, is this like actually happening? Then they show like news coverage and it's like, yeah, this is actually happening. Mm. And more of it is, or more or less of the movie is, what will it take to convince you that these kind of religious fanatics, people who have seen these visions, are actually telling the truth at what point mm-hmm. does it become at what point do you start believing them and getting rid of your own self-doubt right like your own skepticism all right all right that's the concept he wants to get at oh boy okay <laughs> i don't know how much of it like i actually believed with uh-huh. especially since it is presented in a film concept if it was presented in a documentary style i think it might have been a bit more effective uh, but yeah. because it's presented in a very clean, very nice presenting, everything's directed and put in where it needs to be mm-hmm. kind of facade that it is that it stays in the not believable um, kind of movie genres trope that this mm-hmm. is not obviously never going to happen. Yeah, it sounds like it's trying to go for psychological thriller, but it's not directed yeah. like one. Is that maybe what where the disconnect yeah. is? It's like M. Night Shyamalan's not necessarily known for well anymore, I guess, for that kind of approach. Which is funny because like I watched The Village earlier in the week because oh, it just okay. happened to be on. Also, M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> That's not supposed to be very good, though, right? Like, 
No, but at least like everything that they set up within the film leading up to the twist of it's a um, inhabitant, mm-hmm. uh, like it's a, a nature sanctuary, preservation sanctuary, makes you believe that everything in it is like at least like accurate and real, like happening in real okay. time. Did Where you... the twist is, yeah, yeah, that's like modern day. Did you see old his last movie about the beach that I makes did. old? Yeah, yeah, how's this compared to old? <laughs> Kind of the same vibe, where it's very uh-huh. straightforward, okay. uh, but at least with old, there's the twist of why they're doing this thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Cabinet, knock at the cabin, they tell you straight up why they're here and why they're yeah. doing this. Okay. There's no inclination of, like, why is the apocalypse happening now? There's nothing about that. Yeah, um, it it's just window dressing, really, for this yeah, such it's just, the story they're trying to tell with these people. Yeah, it's just, hey, yeah. like, the apocalypse can happen at any time, and you just happen to be the family that was at this cabin. Okay, all right. It sounds like an interesting concept, but yeah, I think you may you may be right. It's like, the, he may be aiming a little high for what he's actually able to do technically, mm-hmm. is what it sounds like. Well, not what he's able to do technically. I think that he was just stuck in his way of making everything film and presented thematically, or yeah. filmatically, that... If it was presented documentary style or like... Mm-hmm. Like if they ch- changed up like, the presentation a little bit. Yeah, like Cloverfield. I even like goes like straight yeah. up like low budget shaky Cloverfield, cam, shaky cam footage everywhere. style. Like, yeah. Yeah. If they did something place. even like more cleanly in like searching or missing just that yeah, just yeah, came yeah. out where you have yeah. a lot of like, like, oh, like here's like camera from like my phone stitched together. Yeah, found footage, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't like know. If we intersect that in between everything, how that might of, work better. Yeah. How much of this do you think that would have been salvaged if you had seen it in a theater as opposed to streaming at home? Do you think it would have benefited from that kind of vibe? No. No. I I think it also just might be from uh, his kind of body of work is that you, much like with old and like mm-hmm. his previous work, that you're expecting a twist. Like, what's the twist? <laughs> Where is it coming from? Right. What's going to happen? Like, how is this like not actually what's happening? Right. And he plays it pretty much straight the whole movie. That there is no twist. The twist is that you have to. That is, that is the trolley problem. Yeah. That would yeah. you save one to save many? It's just it's it's unfortunate though that it doesn't do much interesting with that the concept because that's an yeah. interesting like it's a good foundation but yeah ultimately doesn't sound like he pulled it off. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Well, anything else to say about Knock Cabin? Doesn't sound like to recommend. Sounds like a skip to me. It is a skip. Yeah, mm-hmm. I liked old more than I liked Knock at the Cabin. <laughs> I, we is, just love making fun of the beast that makes you old. It just wasn't funny to us. Yeah, but it turned to like um uh and my Chamelon tier, they're still like middling yeah. to low. They're in the middle of the pack, and they're never gonna get to the six cents, <laughs> but at least they're not better than he me. can keep trying. What's the what's the real awful well? I mean, the probably the worst one he's done is probably that avatar movie. Um, so that's the bottom of the bottom of the barrel, right? Uh well, there's the other one that he did. Um not knock at the cabin. There's another Kevin one that he did though. Oh, what is that movie called? Yeah, there's yes. something about like being in a cabin, and I don't remember what it is. Um, it wait, was Lady in the Water? His Lady in one? the Water. That's him. I don't remember. Anyways, Signs. That's him. Uh, what was it called? oh, the visit. The visit. 
That was what it was, yeah. Okay, all right. Oh, all right, anyway. lest we forget, After Earth was also him. Oh, Jesus, that was. That was him. All right, let's stop yeah, talking about you, that. You forget that it was After Earth because uh, Will Smith's yeah. name and James Smith were all over the marketing for it, and his name was not. All right. Speaking of not his name, let's stop talking about his name, and okay. let's move on. Like, Let's wrap up for the day because that'll do it for movies. And that'll do it for the Media Boat Podcast this week. Um, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, we'll be back next week for another episode. If you've been paying attention to our podcast feed, you already know that we have been doing a March Madness bracket series for Taylor Swift. It's called the Taylor Swift Eras Tournament. That has wrapped up. We put a little bow on it. All episodes are available right now on the feed. So if you want to listen to us determine what the best Taylor Swift song is, you can listen to hours upon hours of podcasts that we did presenting that to you so check that out that's on the podcast feed uh, uh, um, exclusively it's fair to say it is an embarrassingly amount of hours that was talked about taylor swift songs hey yeah we wouldn't be the first um (laughs) well yeah well i mean we're no rob sheffield we're not going to dedicate our entire careers to talking about her um anyway (laughs) no but we will dedicate one month (laughs) To talking yeah, one, about her one month at least that's a good that's that's, a, that's all you're gonna get from us all right so thank you for joining us we'll be back next week if you want to see our video um streams we are on youtube our channel media boat podcast just search media boat podcast and you'll find that like subscribe click the bell for notifications when we go live as i mentioned you can also subscribe to audio podcast services like apple Podcasts, google play amazon iHeartRadio, spotify wherever you listen to podcasts Put Media Boat Podcast in the search field and you'll find our feed. There you can catch our regular episodes as well as our bonus episodes, including those March Madness things. You can also find us on social media at Media Boat Cast is our Twitter handle. We were never verified, so we're not losing a blue check tomorrow, today. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. Um, and then also Facebook, search Media Boat Podcast on Facebook. You'll find our page there. MediaVotePodcast.com is where our writing is and where you can find an archive of older episodes and features. And last but definitely not least, you can find us on Twitch.tv where we occasionally stream video games. You streamed PlayStation 5's Chia last week. Like mm-hmm. that for us. I jumped on MLB The Show 23 recently. On Tuesday, I'll stream some Resident Evil 4 remake and then you'll be jumping in on the show, I'm sure, with someone awesome coming up here soon oh, yep. once i get it in the mail yes someone awesome will continue his wonderful baseball career <laughs> all right thank you for joining us this has been the media Pope podcast we'll be back next week for thoughts about tetris resident evil 4 all sorts of things that aren't just air. Games. <laughs> air yes all things uh that'll be next week so stay tuned yep. and have a good one we'll also have our champion for ncaa march madness yep. uh we'll also yep. have who won WrestleMania, and will Aaron Judge continue his streak of hitting home runs, and will Anthony Rendon continue his streak of hitting fans? Oh, we were going to bring that up. Okay, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.